0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear his word today. If you would take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we conclude our nine-week series called the Reset Series. We began in early June with Pastor Mike's message about resetting our lives around grace. We heard from Pastor Ryan about Jesus's call in Matthew 11 to come unto him, all who are weary and heavy burden, and he will give us rest. And then we've been, uh, we've been dazzled by a new look from the Bible at recreation and retreat. Uh, We've considered how God is calling us to rethink, reduce, and refuel our lives. And last week, we heard about how God invites us to relate to other brothers and sisters in Christ and other family members, seeing them as a, a means of grace for our happiness and for, more importantly, our holiness. If you missed any of those messages, I would encourage you to get the Bible Center app You can get that wherever you typically get your apps. All the messages are there along with the sermon notes. And everything I talk about today is right there in the sermon notes on the app where you can follow along. Or if you have a question afterwards about something I said or a reference, you can follow along or go back to those. Today, as is in the case with most of my messages, I'll be preaching primarily to Jesus followers. Of course, I'll always include a call to believe the gospel for those who are not yet Jesus followers or skeptics or people who are thinking about it and considering it. Uh, But today's message being primarily for Christians, at the end of this series, as we wrap it all up today, I'm aware that some of us may be feeling a bit overwhelmed at what we've discussed This summer, eight straight weeks, and now the ninth week of talking about these matters. Maybe you're thinking, Matt, there's no way I can do what God has invited me to do in this series. Maybe you're thinking, You say, Matt, you don't understand. My life is too difficult. My life is too complex. The suffering I'm going through is is too great. There's no way I can think about resetting my life and reducing and recreation a day off. What is that? All those sorts of things that we've discussed. And so I just want to say at the outset of this message that I'm not going to try to pretend to understand what you are going through. I'm not because even though I know a lot about the suffering in our church, I'm also aware that I'm probably just scratching the surface of what you are deeply facing in your life. And so I don't want to pretend again that I I know what you're facing and in 30 minutes you're going to have it all fixed. But I do want to encourage you in this, be open to what Jesus may speak to you about today. Be open to the Lord. You see, He knows your thoughts. He knows the very hairs on your head. Uh, He loves you far more than I could ever love you, and He wants the best for your life. And so I would encourage you to listen and and be sensitive to the Spirit for how the Spirit may speak to you from God's Word. So let's go ahead and dive in, 1 Corinthians 15. We're just gonna start by looking at one verse. Verse 58 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's today's big idea. If I could summarize the message in this. Through Jesus, you can reset your life. Through Jesus, you can reset your life. Your life. And it's important for us to see that it's through Jesus. But as we conclude this series, you can reset your life through Christ. Through him, it's possible for you to develop uh, sustainable rhythms of rest and recreation and retreat. It's possible for you to reprioritize your life, to reduce all of the clutter, to learn to refuel in healthy ways, to better relate to the people in your life. It's possible for all of us only through Christ. And so in the next few minutes, I want to give you three reasons why you can reset your life here are three reasons. Number one, you can reset your life because Jesus was physically resurrected in the past. Jesus was physically resurrected in the past. Jesus bodily, publicly, physically rose from the grave on Sunday morning about 2000 years ago. That was Paul's foundation. Paul concludes this chapter with verse 58 that we just read about how it's possible for us to press forward, to strive for us not to quit. But the foundation he lays is all the way back at the beginning of the chapter about the resurrection. Now, we can't know for sure the exact date of Jesus's resurrection for the Bible hasn't told us. Most scholars believe it was April 5th, AD 33. But while the date is debatable, the event is not. And that's what Jesus wanted to, or Paul wanted to prove to us in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look in verse 1. Let's go back, look at verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. The words we just read were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I love how God wrote them in such a way that they meet every qualification for a Roman legal document of evidence. So why should we trust the apostle Paul? Well, Paul was born, history tells us, Paul was born around the same time of Jesus, Paul went to law school, we learn in the book of Acts. Around the same time, Jesus was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem. Paul spent the first few years of his career violently trying to disprove Jesus, but eventually Paul became a believer. And for Paul, it was an historical fact that Jesus died on the cross. He could take you to the hill, Mount Calvary. He could take you to the spot where Jesus died on the cross. For Paul, it was an historical fact that Jesus was buried in a garden tomb. He could take you to that tomb. And for Paul, it was an historical fact that Jesus arose from the grave. He could introduce you to hundreds, if not thousands of Christians, men and women, even children perhaps, who had seen Jesus risen from the grave. He just told us that there on one occasion was 500 Many believe that there could have been thousands because Acts tells us that Jesus was around for 40 days until he ascended into heaven. One of the questions we need to ask is how can we know that Jesus's resurrection was a physical resurrection and not just a spiritual resurrection? That's a common argument for those who are trying to still retain a little sliver of Christianity but not really Uh, maintain orthodox doctrine. They say, well, Jesus was spiritually arisen, but he didn't physically arise. There are several problems with that argument. One is that nowhere in the Bible does resurrection uh, refer to some kind of spiritual resurrection that is separate from a physical resurrection. Another way we know this is true is that the tomb was empty. Now, that's not the only Uh, evidence, but that is part of the evidence that Jesus did not leave his body behind. He physically arose. His followers, according to the gospels, could touch him. They could hug him. They could feel the scars in his hands and in his feet. Luke 24 tells us that Jesus ate broiled fish after he arose from the grave. The Gospels tell us that Jesus didn't arise like some kind of shining star or like a ghost, but he arose as a normal human being. He was even mistaken after his resurrection as being a gardener or as a traveler on the road. And then these early Christians, these hundreds if not thousands of Christians who had seen Jesus after he had risen from the grave, they had this common greeting it was common for one Christian to greet another and say, Christ is risen. And then that other Christian would reply, some of you know it, Christ is risen indeed. That comes to us from 2,000 years of church history. Another way that we can be convinced that, that what took place has evidence or has, a, has substance is Paul wrote these words about 25 years after the resurrection of Christ. And so 25 years really isn't that long. That's why Paul said, in the words we just read, Paul said, some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have died in the last 25 years, but many are still alive. Now, we kind of skim over that and think, what's the big deal about that? But the big deal is you could go down the road and talk to Bubba and Bubba could tell you that, oh yeah, I was there. I, I saw Jesus rose from the grave. You could still go down the road and talk to Susie and she could tell you, yeah, Jesus, I was there. He rose from the grave. 25 years isn't that long. Now, many of us in this room were around 25 years ago. Some of us weren't, but many of us were. And I used to think 25 years was a really, really long time, but it's really not, right? Some of you are like, you have no idea, but it's, it's really not that long. Think about where you were 25 years ago, 1996. That was the year Motorola introduced its first ever flip phone. Yasser Arafat was president of the PLO. Disney purchased ABC that year for $19 billion, with a B, dollars. Braveheart won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And Boris Yeltsin was sworn in at the Kremlin as a sec- for the second term as the president of Russia. Now, most of us can testify to those events because we were around or alive during those events. It wasn't that long ago. And for Paul to write what he just wrote, he could testify to these events because he was around when they took place. It was no hallucination. Again, there were hundreds if not thousands of eyewitnesses, which is why or explains why Christianity experienced such rapid growth in the early years. Because those people couldn't help but worship the one they had seen having risen from the grave. Now, how do we respond to somebody who wants to say, and some of you who are in college or who are going to college, somebody may ask, well, how, how do you respond to somebody who is not convinced that Jesus really existed? I was having coffee sometime back at the Charleston Town Center Starbucks and with, with a friend and, and he wanted to challenge me and we can challenge one another. He said, I, I'm just not sure, Matt, that Jesus even really existed. Because after all, like, unless you can take me back in time in a time machine, I'm not sure that I'm really gonna believe that he existed. And so I was able to, to kind of poke back a little bit and say, well, do you apply that same logic? Do you apply that same logic to Alexander the Great, to George Washington or to Henry Ford? Right there, even though we didn't see them, we can accept from uh, accurate history that they existed. So, how do we respond to somebody who claims that Jesus' resurrection can't be scientifically proven? Maybe you've heard that one. Well, it can't be scientifically proven. If we had a, had a microphone, we were going to interview the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, tell us, why do you believe in the resurrection? It can't be scientifically proven. Paul would respond, I believe, by saying this. Hey, resurrection isn't about science. I'm not doing science right now. I'm doing history. I'm doing history. Science studies the repeatable. History studies the unrepeatable. For instance, Caesar only crossed the Rubicon once. Historians don't see this as a problem and they're usually not shy about declaring that event. Do we apply the scientific method to all aspects of life? Think about it. Do we really apply the scientific method to all aspects of life? How do you apply the scientific method to listening to music or picking out your favorite music? How do you apply the scientific method to falling in love? Many things in life transcend science. And then one last question. How do we respond to somebody who who maybe would propose that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but that he just passed out, that he just fainted? You may have heard that argument before. Well, no credible historian denies that Jesus of Nazareth really lives. Most historians, even secular historians, will attest that there's enough evidence to suggest that Jesus really did get nailed to a cross where they say he got nailed to a cross. You can visit that place. You can go there. You can touch the ground where that place existed. But the question is, Is it possible that Jesus just fainted or swooned on the cross and that in that cold tomb he healed up and he came back to consciousness and walked out of the grave? And the answer to that question really is simple. Jesus had to die because the Roman soldiers were experts in capital punishment they would not have left it to chance that Jesus had merely passed out. You see, Roman law said that if a Roman soldier allowed someone to not die when they were supposed to be executed, that Roman soldier would have to take his or her spot, which is why the Roman soldier pierced Jesus' side to make sure he was really dead because he wanted to go home and enjoy a nice time with his family. He didn't want to take Jesus' place on the cross. And so, if someone would come up to the Apostle Paul again and say, Well, Paul, you know, uh, I just, you know, this story about Jesus rising from the grave, you know, it all sounds good, kind of like Greek mythology. It sounds good, but, you know, I'm just having a hard time because people don't rise from the grave. I think Paul would have responded this way You're doing philosophy, I'm doing history. You're doing philosophy, I'm doing history. Sure, it doesn't make sense. Sure, it doesn't make sense that people rise from the grave. But all I know is it happened, thousands of people saw it, and Jesus lives. One German scholar wrote this, the evidence for Jesus's resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And I think it's okay for us to admit that. As Christians, when we're talking to non-Christians, it's okay to say, this is, this is, this is strange, right? This is, one of my friends in Louisville uh, was talking to another friend about the resurrection and he said, now look, wait a minute. You know I don't believe this, but if this is true, this universe is a lot stranger than we ever realized. And I kind of like that because that's actually a pre-modern view of the, this universe is crazy. God is beyond our imagination, He can do tremendous things, including create the world. But secondly, if you believe it happened, this is the big one, you have to change the way you live. And one thing I'm noticing in this modern day of, of we call them ex-evangelicals, people leaving the evangelical faith. They say, well, I'm just not sure I believe anymore. I'm gonna deconstruct my faith. Nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, it's because they either want to dive into some sin that they know they shouldn't dive into, or they already have dove into some sin that they know they shouldn't have dove into. And so God invites us to believe the resurrection. The primary issue this morning, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, isn't that you have to understand all the Bible. I've been a Christian for several decades and I still don't understand all the Bible. You don't have to understand all the Bible to be a Christian. I'll go a step farther. You don't even have to believe all the Bible to be a Christian. You say, now, Matt, wait a minute. No, you don't. That's why I'm not standing up here this morning trying to argue every nook and cranny of the Bible. Paul says the only thing you must believe is the gospel. And so start there. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, believe that Jesus lived because he did. Believe that he died, was buried, and rose again because he did. And just accept Jesus as the King and the Lord of your life. And then grow in your faith. Join the journey with the rest of us. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to beg you right there where you are to accept Jesus as your Savior. Commit your life to Christ. Pray in your own words. Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus. Christian, you and I can reset our lives because Jesus was physically resurrected in the past. Number two, you can reset your life because, Christian, you will be physically resurrected in the future. You will be physically resurrected in the future. Let's look back at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. He continues in verse 51. Verse 51 Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I think that's a great verse for our nursery ministry downstairs. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. There was a dad joke. We're going to move forward. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then this saying that is written will come true. That's a lot of fancy words for the resurrection. When you and I are raised from the grave, this is gonna be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, old death, is your sting? Death right now has a sting. When loved ones die, it stings, it hurts. But one day at the resurrection, that sting will be no more. Now this letter that we're reading this morning was written to the Corinthian church. The Corinthians were uh, a church of Greco-Roman culture, uh, specifically part of what one time was Greece, and the Greeks did not believe in physical resurrection. We see this in Acts 17 in verse 32. Paul was preaching on Mars Hill to the Athenians. And the the Athenians were okay with Paul's message, like, okay, we'll be respectful. This guy's, you know, another philosopher. But when Paul started talking about this guy named Jesus who rose from the grave physically, Acts 17.32, they started laughing at him. They're like, that's hilarious. Yeah, right. Greeks had no category for the resurrection of the dead. Many Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul, but not the immortality of the body. Philosophers like Plato taught that matter is evil, and the spirit is good. He denied bodily resurrection. Therefore, for most in this culture, putting a heavenly existence into an earthly body, specifically putting a heavenly existence like a soul into a resurrected body was as incompatible as chalk and cheese. But unfortunately, this skeptical attitude had started to to find its way into the church. These Corinthians, these Christians at Corinth, they believed in the resurrection of Jesus or else they couldn't have been Christian. And so they kind of gave Jesus a pass because after all, he's God, he can rise from the grave. But, but they didn't believe, they were struggling to believe in their own resurrection. And so what Paul is doing here is Paul is saying, if you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you can also believe in your own future resurrection. And we want to clear up a couple mis- mis- of couple, uh, um, inconsistencies with our thinking and our terminology. Is, I'll ask you, is life after death in our culture the same as resurrection? Do we use the idea of life after death the same way we use the word resurrection? And I'm going to say that we, we often do use them synonymous, but we should not use them synonymously. So what happens when a Christian dies? Well, when a Christian dies, his or her spirit or soul, whatever we want to call it, that spiritual part of their existence goes to heaven. This is all in your notes. You can see it in Luke 23:43, 2 Corinthians 5:8, Philippians 1:23. We call this life after death. I believe in life after death. But this is not resurrection. For instance, in Luke 23, 43, think with me, Jesus is on the cross, the criminal beside him on the cross. Jesus looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So that day, Jesus' spirit or soul went to paradise, but where was Jesus' body? His body was still in the grave. His body was still in the tomb. Writing about his suffering in the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul said in chapter five and verse eight, I would prefer to be away from the body and to be in heaven with the Lord, for this is far better. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't understand why my grandparents talked so much about wanting to go home to be with the Lord, right? When you're a kid, you're like, what's the big deal? I mean, why would you wanna leave this place of Kings Islands and Cedar Points and, and pony rides? I mean, this is a great place. And then you live a little bit of life and you're like, oh, that's... That's why they long to go home to be with the Lord. And many of you get that. And so I'm thinking right now about my my brother and my sister who who both have died. They're at home with the Lord. Their soul, their spirit is with the Lord. The Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about that. Uh, We know that they're with Jesus. We know that they uh, are awake. It's not, it's not soul sleep. They're conscious. They know what's going on. They're with the Lord in spirit. Uh, We know that they can somehow recognize one another. The Bible says we shall know even as we are known. They can recognize one another somehow. We remember Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, where Jesus uh, was there and Elijah, Elijah and Moses met with them. Their spirits met with them on the mountain. Somehow they could recognize Elijah and Moses in spiritual form. However, one day when Jesus returns, our spirits will reunite with new bodies. This is physical life after death. This is resurrection. You can read more about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 or John chapter 5 verses 24 through 29. In the Bible, resurrection never meant spiritual life after death. It did, however, refer to a bodily resurrection, resurrected life when Christ returns. So I like to say that resurrection is life after, life after death. So one day, my brother and my sister, when Jesus returns, if I'm still alive or if I've gone to be with the Lord and with them, when Jesus returns, they're going to receive physical bodies reunited with their eternal spirit to live on a resurrected heaven and earth. Here's here's what I don't say at funerals. I don't say grandma, now that she's in heaven, has her new arms. Or grandpa, now that he's in heaven, has his new legs. That's not biblically accurate. There's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that Christians get a new physical body the moment that they die. It's just their spirit is with the Lord. Jesus is the only one in the universe right now with a new physical resurrected body. But here's what I do say at funerals. Grandma or grandpa, as they follow Jesus, they are with the Lord right now. And there's coming a day when Jesus returns that their spirit will get a new body. They're gonna get new arms and new legs. And they're gonna be able to walk with Jesus and walk with you on the new heavens and the new earth. Why is it so important that we make this distinction? Why do we as Christians, why are we invited to make a big deal about resurrection? Well, one, it's what the New Testament emphasizes. There's very little written in the New Testament about our heavenly existence, where our souls and spirit go to be with the Lord. There's very little about it. There's just enough to know that it's gonna be great. But most of the passages in the Bible that talk about what we say is heaven actually refer to the resurrected state after Jesus returns. It also helps us make sense of grief. It helps us make sense of why there's so much addiction in the world. Whenever we see addiction around us and even in our own hearts, we're like, Lord, Jesus, please come. We can have hope to know there's a day coming. This is temporary. We can have a day coming where there'll be no more addiction. There'll just be resurrection. It gives us hope when we find cancer within us or within people that we love. We can know that one day, resurrection's coming. We can have hope whenever we grieve the loss of a loved one or abuse or sickness or financial burdens or funerals. Christians, for 1,700 years until the Enlightenment, Christians, were it was common for them to have inscribed on their gravestone this word in Latin, resurgum, which means I will rise. The resurrection of the king guarantees the resurrection of the king's children. And so the reason that's emphasized for us is essentially God says, go for it, go for it. Swing for the fence while you live. Because whether you live or whether you die, you will be resurrected again. This is why Christians could face martyrdom. Moms and dads and children could go bravely into a Roman Colosseum knowing that they were going to die. All they had to do was just renounce Christ as Lord. They could still worship Jesus as Lord secretly on the side as long as they said that Caesar is Lord. Everything would be fine. But they they would pay their taxes and they would be good citizens. They would love their neighbor. But they could not say Caesar is Lord because Jesus is Lord. And so they could face martyrdom bravely in a way that I can't even imagine. But somehow they knew that they would be one day resurrected. This gives us hope. Jesus' resurrection. Our resurrection. Finally, and in closing, number three, you can reset your life because you are spiritually resurrected right now. You can reset your life because you are spiritually resurrected right now. One day you're going to be physically resurrected, but tied to physical resurrection for the believer is a spiritual resurrection. Some places in the Bible use the word resurrection to talk about the spiritual state. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans chapter 6 is one of those places Uh, Some places in the Bible use the word alive. I think the technical theological term is regeneration. You, if you're a Jesus follower, if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you have been spiritually resurrected. This is the point Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 15.9. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It had transformed Paul. The grace of Jesus had transformed the early church. It was the resurrection of Jesus that turned the heartbroken followers of a crucified rabbi into the fearless leaders of the early church. They could threaten them. Rome could beat them. Rome could imprison them and kill them, but they could never get them to deny what they had witnessed. In your notes are all the references for this. Some places, again, say you've been born again. Peter talks about that. Jesus talks about that in John. Ephesians chapter two says you've been, as a Christian, you've been made alive together. In Romans chapter six, seven, and eight, Paul makes the connection, Christian, and he says, just as your body will one day be resurrected, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, your spirit, your spirit was quickened Jesus, opened your heart to faith. You were regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified somehow with Christ, he says. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, you can reset your life this summer. You say, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible because you are spiritually alive. You've been spiritually resurrected. We want to end the same way we began with 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This one little verse, I want to read it one more time. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. We we could say it this way today in a different context. My dear brothers and sisters, reset your life. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's the takeaway. Here's my encouragement, my one encouragement. By faith, ask God to help you reset your life by putting this summer series into practice. Ask the Lord for help. This isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstrap sermon. This is a, hey, you need Jesus sermon. You need Jesus as a Christian to even implement obedience. Ask the Lord to help you develop sustainable rhythms of rest and retreat. Ask the Lord to help you start making time for recreation and rest. Ask the Lord this, this summer to help you rethink and reprioritize your life. Even reducing the clutter requires faith. Ask the Lord to help you refuel your life, to to relate to the others in your life. Right now, your heart may be breaking. You might be falling apart. But Jesus knows the road you're taking. And even if it's a step in the dark, one day you're going to see clearly, and I promise you, believer, you will see clearly. One day your heart's gonna find that buried beneath all the grieving, The sun has been waiting to shine. Jesus may have died on Friday, but resurrection reset everything. Mary may have cried her eyes out, but resurrection resets everything. The disciples may have scattered like sheep without a shepherd, but resurrection reset everything. Satan may have strutted with temporary victory, but three days later, resurrection reset everything. You've been in a pandemic for two years. Some of you feel every day of that two years. But resurrection one day is going to reset everything. You've lost loved ones and friends, but one day resurrection's going to reset everything. You have an addiction that you feel that you can't overcome, and even if you do overcome it, the pull and the the weight of that is still going to be there. One day resurrection's coming. You have temptations that you feel that you wish would go away, and you prayed for God to take them away, but that God hasn't yet taken them away. One day resurrection's going to change everything. The doctor's diagnosis may not be good in this life, but resurrection will change everything. The pain may not go away on this side of heaven, but resurrection will change everything. So that means with the pain or without the pain, you can pick up, you can get up, you can stand up, you can rise up, you can hold your head up because resurrection changes everything. Why can we reset our lives? Because these three reasons Jesus was physically resurrected in the past. You'll be physically resurrected in the future. And you are spiritually resurrected right now. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.